Welcome to Off the Record. I just spent my last week attending uh, four pop punk shows. Um, Jesse, I had on Saturday 66 ounces of frozen passion fruit strawberry margaritas. Oh my God! You're turning into me. Yeah, it was incredible, Tom. Like we had a whole we had a whole gang of, of friends in Philly, um, and we uh, we just kind of went for it. We went to this Mexican place and. We were all going to get beers, and then the waitress goes, we have specials on passion fruit margaritas. And passion fruit is my favorite fruit oh. um, from some old vacations down to the Caribbean. I just, I love passion fruit, you know? So You got you got a passion for passion fruit. I do, I do. And so this place calls their, their 22-ounce margaritas big-ass margaritas. Mm. So uh, Thomas and I each had 66 ounces of margaritas. Um and then we went to... So you guys got white girl. We got white girl everything, basically. Um, and then we went to uh, see part of a show in a church while white girl margaritaed. Um, and so that, you know, I don't know how that will affect me when I, you know, when I'm old and, and, and die. But I, I probably imagine that it wasn't good for me. Um, and then, uh, yeah, then I spent three days at a, at a Wonder Years concert. And, uh, let me tell you, we did some good work making Defenders, Defenders, Jesse. Whether we want to think about that as part of our legacy or not, there were a lot of them. Oh, one second. I am sorry. I got a jam box and I didn't turn it off. Yeah. Sorry. Anyway, we did a good job, Jesse. There were a lot of Defenders and, uh... They were there was a lot of there was a lot of tank tops in the twenty degree Philadelphia winter. I still don't really get that thing, but it's still a thing. I never I never get it. I yeah. never do. How was your weekend? I was just lovely. I worked the entire weekend. I put in twenty four hours working with a great band, and uh, then I went out last night and uh, ate at the best restaurant in America, Mission Chinese. Hmm. Did you have mar? Did do they, do they have frozen margaritas though? You know, I drink this thing called the Sensei there, which is like mm. a really fancy sake margarita. Um, oh, that sounds like it a, would do really badly for me. But there's another one there called the Phil Collins, and it's like served in like a dim sum cup, and uh, it's like a super spicy drink. That's what my date was drinking, and it was it's pretty wild. But that is that's the basically I I I ate all the good things and. Uh, I had some margaritas though the night before, so. Wow. So we had a we had a marg filled weekend. Always. I mean that, that's basically like a given for me. I basically that's all I make in my bar. Sure, sure. Okay. Well, into the into the normal show now, after just talking about alcohol. Uh we, we wanted to start things off. There's an interesting rumor going around that's in the show notes at offtherecord.fm that uh iTunes or Apple or Beats may be big maybe purchasing Big Machine. Big Machine is a record label uh who you will best know for Taylor Swift, Rascal Flax, Rascal Flats, uh yes. Tim McGraw and other country related humans. Um you didn't mention the Florida Georgia line, man. Oh, my bad. They're my guys. You you, you love hip hop. I do love that. What is <laughs> what did you just say? Hip hop cuz they're hicks doing hip hop. Oh wow! I'd never heard that term before. Well, I, that's because you know yours truly coined it during an award show, and then like three months later, I saw it on the ads for some reality TV show, and I was pretty pissed. I mean, it's cool that we already know what the title of the episode is. 
Yeah, I mean, I really want credit for my genre names. Like, between Hiccup and Trollcore for Attila, I really want to be credited for what I've done for society by giving them these names. Hmm. Well, I mean, you're, we're cementing that credit right here. They can never uh, discount you for this. I, I, I'm really glad. Sh- shout out to my boy, Lord Fraudzilla. My boy, I, uh, yeah, never mind. Actually, well, I, I will say via, via second, via third hand source, you know, Franz's new iPhone app. I do. I, uh, I, apparently the developer of the iPhone app said Franz was an incredible person to work with and really nice and has a lot of business sensibility. Well, I mean... So I don't know what that means about anything, but that uh, ruined my weekend. The universe is a very strange place. It is. Nice to some people is something else to a lot of others, you know? Mm, mm. Mm. But anyway, so there's this rumor floating around that got picked up on Friday of last week that iTunes may be buying a big machine. Uh, iTunes did negate, or sorry, decline. Sorry, they said that the rumor was false. But uh, I, I will just quickly say that I, I think it's interesting because a lot of times when rumors start, they are plausible in the sense that um, another record label buying a big machine would not be a surprise because record labels buy record labels often. However, a tech company buying a record label, even if they have music technology like iTunes and Apple, that's like a weird rumor to just start out of nowhere. Um, it, you should also note that iTunes, that Apple, uh, said that they were not buying beats when the rumors leaked and then they bought them a month later. Um, so I don't, whether this pans out to be true or not, Jesse and I thought we had an interesting conversation maybe to have around what it would mean if, if things like this started to happen, if iTunes were to buy, um, big machine or if Google were to buy top shelf records, like what, like it's an interesting conversation potentially. Um, Jesse, would you mind having the pe- the person that makes all of your technology products also own uh, your favorite hip hop artist's catalog? Well, here's the problem. The second you get into this and they start playing this game of owning this label, if they start playing the thing where they then have exclusives on certain artists, it starts to break what some people call the errant jukebox. What So what that means to people who don't know the stupid term errant, which I kind of hate everybody using, that means that the idea that one day that like the streaming music services will be a complete catalog, a historical archive of music, if you will. And so let's say Apple does buy it and then they say Taylor Swift, one of the biggest artists in the world, is only now on Beats. That starts to break things. And then the other problem is, is then, you know, Spotify is going to buy a label. And the other thing is... Uh, uh, so that one is bad for us as music listeners. Then, you know, the less severe one is that they just do exclusives a lot. But uh, the most severe of that is like, you know, we don't want that broken and that's not good for music listening. Um, And then secondly, which uh, is just obvious, is conflict of interest for royalty payment when these royalty payments already suck and you're the one negotiating with yourself. That's pretty ugly, but there's already a lot of that out there. There obviously you could, you probably couldn't count the conflicts of interest, right? Um. Yeah. Well, I mean, but here's the other thing too, is when you still have Dre and Iovine who essentially are A&R producers, studio owners, sit on the board of Apple, running beats. Like, these guys have conflict of interest that go for weeks. I mean, Dre also, you know, uh, label owner 
you know, Iovine's just a president of a label, but like Trey does tons of, of artist development still too. And it's like the conflicts just don't stop here. And I find that really ugly. Like, you know, I've often in this scene voiced my opposition about how gross it used to be when Richard Stephanie Reynaz did this with drive through of just being both manager and label head and how gross I find that it's not pretty to me. I don't know. I, I'm really curious to see like, so the, the large rumor that we talked about last week with Apple redoing beats is that they will be releasing an Android app for it, which kind of says that Apple, like Apple could very easily say, no, we're only going to make this for iPhone, iPad, Mac, etc. But it seems like Apple could potentially be serious about wanting to make Beats just the largest music streaming app and do it cross-platform, which would be great. Um, so if they're open to that, I mean, it, it's not like Taylor Swift would be okay with not having her CDs in Target, right? Because Apple, Apple, Apple would still make money, a ton of money. Let's just use Taylor Swift for an example on her next album if they could sell it everywhere, you know, um, like potentially much more than the 30% they get now from iTunes. Keep in mind, CDs market share in retail uh, in two years when any of this would go into effect is so minimal, it's pathetic. Maybe, but maybe not for Taylor Swift. Like, she just, she sold four million albums. Still got to look at the trajectory of where those sales are. While she may be one of the last ones for everybody else, this is just based, like, CDs are... Essentially right, right. If, if we go on the same trajectory as all the statistics that just came out, CDs are going to be such, like, they're going to be, essentially be turned into what vinyl was 10 years ago, of just, like, an added bonus that you stew for some artists. Yeah, I, I, I just mean that, like, Apple potentially would would be losing a lot of money by not letting, if they were to own a record label, that music to be sold everywhere, because they would get more than just the 30% cut they get from iTunes, for example. Sure. Um, so I don't, it's, it's it's interesting to me. Well, here's another side of it too: is what if Alpha is leveraging this as a way? Because Big Machines does have I don't know how much you've ever read about it, but they do do some very interesting deals in artist control. In that they seem like a very management based label in some ways, like where um, they're able to kind of like almost let the artist be a little bit more independent and are acting as if like you build your own infrastructure within the label. At least this is what I read years ago when Taylor Swift's first started getting big. And um, I think what could be interesting is if Apple's starting to say, hey, you will get the benefits of being featured on our humongous streaming service dash iTunes platform and get pushed out to all the emails if you come join us you'll get this preferential treatment by going to with big machine but this preferential treatment is also going to come with that you're exclusive with us so it keeps emboldening us to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger or what if they start doing is they start doing the youtube rape of our itunes as uh, it was called and they start putting these bands on the thing and this is a way to just get bands to sign up directly to be put in there and then they start banking on uh that this is a marketing tool for selling iPhones. Let's say that the new album comes with right. IPhone. So yeah, every Taylor Swift purposely releases her album the Tuesday before, the Tuesday of, or the Tuesday after iPhones go on sale, right? And like I see, yes, that could be that could be something. Um, though I, I think Apple might have learned its lessons from U two. Um, Let's hope. Though I would say, like I, I was, we had a conversation in class the other day about Beyonce and like the way that she released her album with iTunes versus the way U2 released their album. And if 
uh, everyone just if you if Apple switched it and they put Beyonce's fo- uh, album on everyone's phone, yes, there obviously would have been people complaining. But I think the internet instead of five thousand BuzzFeed and other think pieces about why Apple was wrong to do this, everyone would have been like, "Oh my God, free Beyonce! This is my favorite thing ever. Thank you, Beyonce. You're so great." Agreed. Um, that, be, they, thank you, Blessed Bay. Yeah, I mean, okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I it, that would be the greatest example of suddenly, like, if if any of these large tech companies were to buy a real record label with mega artists like Taylor Swift or Rascal Flatts or Tim McGraw, that suddenly, like, it's it's just a totally different business and backing. Suddenly, you have the largest tech company in the world. You have the largest company in the world and Apple being your record label. But let's keep in mind, this has been being done some. Like, remember when Paramore's record came out and it was RDO exclusive for, like, what, a week? Yeah, yeah, but I, I just don't even... Like, the implications, I feel like, go beyond exclusives. Uh, yes. I, I, I And I just... That's, like, that's what's interesting to me. Like, does... does uh, could that maybe positively or negatively have influence on changing, like, the, the major label music world to more of a, like, tech... VC funded thing. I don't. I don't know, but you would have to imagine like Apple super ha- handles its money interestingly. Like I feel like deals would suddenly be different. Uh, there just could be so many different changes. So to get into the conflict of interest thing, though, I think there's a detail that a lot of people don't realize, and I only just kind of like had the epiphany the other day of like. So a lot of time when you see those like pitiful royalty statements from Spotify. Uh, of these big artists, like I remember there's like the one with Pharrell that everybody recently freaked out about. Is One of the things we have to also remember is that these labels' contracts with all the streaming services basically say that the label gets paid for all their properties and that they can figure out which of the artists get it divvied up in which ways. And if their contract with an artist is really shitty... They can get a, like, let's say you're the small band and not Pharrell, or Pharrell gets a bad contract or something, which he probably doesn't have. But, like, for the sake of example, they can kind of choose which part of that pie they paid the artist. There's no real establishing thing. Like, Spotify has that thing of that they pay between 0.006 and 0.0084 cents for each stream, but, like... Aside from that, what the artist actually gets is a totally arbitrary thing, and each deal with each uh, label is even different. So I think that's one of the things to remember that, like, also when you start to see that the a streaming service and a label are joined together, that makes this conflict of interest thing get real, real ugly real fast. Yeah, conflicts of interest for me are a continuing interesting conversation. <laughs> Yeah. Like to me, like, so, and Taylor, let's just, again, let's just keep using Taylor Swift as an example, not because we talk oh, about her Jesus. all the time, but because she is the label's biggest artist. So I think that's fair. In some ways, let's just say, like, Taylor Swift gets an email from Tim Cook tomorrow being like, hey, Taylor, I just bought the company that you have one more album contractually signed for. Uh, your next album will be on Big Machine under Apple. In some ways, that's incredibly potentially exciting, right? Like Taylor Swift could be... Apple sold 70 million iPhones last quarter. That's in a period of three months, right? Uh, that's 70 million. And then they so, sold... So, so like to, to put that in, as I always like to do for our listeners' uh, perspective, that's the equivalent to selling an iPhone to almost a quarter of America. 
Yeah, they sold um, they sold an iPhone every fifteen seconds, I believe. Um, I think that was the stat, which is like think about that. That's uh, if you if you don't count the subsidy, that's about four to six hundred dollars every fifteen seconds. Like just really think about that for a second. So, so in the last three months, that's one in five of Americans got an iPhone. Yep. It's really, uh, it's really, it's just really something. Um, so again, they, they sell a lot of things. Uh, they, uh, when you plug in iPads and Apple TVs and, uh, Macs, I think they sold around a hundred million products last quarter. Again, that's just in four months, three months. So Let's again. Let's like wipe the YouTube situation from your mind. What if a Taylor Swift album, sorry Jesse, comes on every one of those devices? That's a hundred million devices suddenly that has a new Taylor Swift album, a new Taylor Swift music video on them, right? That's incredible access for an artist who were championing for selling four million albums in four months, right? Like, what sure. if what if those artists now suddenly have access potentially to a hundred million people, right? Because what if but it's access and it's like also, you know, I didn't listen to that U2 record. You didn't, but there's the chance out of 100 million people, what if 1 million more people who've never heard a Taylor Swift song in their life hear Taylor Swift? And what if 100,000 of those people buy the album and buy every album in the future, right? Like, it's not it's a very nec- solid point. You're not, it's not an automatic thing that you're looking at. It's, it's a potential long term thing for a career artist. If, sure. If Apple sells 100 million in a quarter, that's their biggest quarter, always the the Q1 quarter. So what if they sell 300 million uh, Apple devices in a year and Taylor Swift is on all 300 million of those devices? That's like, you know, that's unprecedented access. Um, No one else can do that because Apple's the biggest company in the world. So it's unprecedented access, but at the same time, how is she compensated? Not that I care. Yeah, I don't. I don't um, know. Yeah. So these are all. Like, these are the good questions. And I think that's the problem is is that it, that it's like okay, so now you have you, you have that tangled machine, um, no pun intended or kind of a pun intended. And it am I recalling this correctly too? That big machine is easy, even her management too. I don't know. You know way no. more about Taylor Swift uh, than I'm I so do. I'm so sorry. She, she, she's she's uh. Ground control. Got it. I had to use the Googles. Anyway, so you, it's just like these decisions just seem really, really shitty. When a record label, especially in these cases, usually have the right to make those decisions for the artist, whether they like them or not. That just seems ugly. And I think like that even gets into like, the you know, and obviously we've gotten into a little that you have Knuckle Puck as a manager and you've put out stuff for them on Bad Tie. And I think that there's a thing when it's a smaller act, but what you're dealing with huge amounts of money. Yeah, there are hundreds of million dollars in play at any given time. And I met, and you guys didn't with Knuckle Puck, for example, do exclusive merch deals and stuff like that and make them give you designs. Yeah, I mean, with bad timing in general, whether it's yeah. Knuckle Puck or not, we typically do one or two exclusive merch deals per release, which is the standard or below the standard even. It's it's mm-hmm. way different, but that's way different than I like a lot of large artists, their record labels will control their entire retail merchandise. So you'll you know you'll you'll make Taylor Swift will make a deal with Target where they cover where they have a Taylor Swift t-shirt and they buy I don't know 1 million t-shirts and that's that's uh suddenly a 5 million dollar deal and then you have to split up that money depending on who gets those royalties. Yeah. 
So I think that's the thing then too is like, so it's like, let's say your labels now got this total bad conflict of interest of how you split up the labels or maybe either there's the potential that it that just makes it more direct that you just say that, that we're going to be a vessel and we just take a standard percentage. But like, I don't know. It just seems it's that uh, I would not be comfortable of that uh, as an artist. That's, that's my biggest thing. There's a lot of potential downsides and everything we're talking about is fake really. Yes. Um, but 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 they're the, but they're good thought exercises. Yeah, yeah but and, what, and what I would say is for our audience on what they on who they get involved with and what what decisions they make about when their record labels both their manager and also their manager. That's a bad thing. And what, or if your record label is also trying to be, I, you know, I see all the time is a lot of these small labels now are like, well, we're your merch company too, and we're going to print your merch. And you have to do your merch through us if we sign you. Yeah, I've seen that. That's a hundred percent a thing. <laughs> That's a that's yeah. a thing in metalcore world. That's a thing in metalcore world. I mean, even outside of it, I'm seeing more and more. Um, and I just, you know, there is a thing about a team where a team is checks and balances between people. And I think one of the things that people really miss is that, like, this kind of gets into the next article you wanted to talk about a little bit too. So it segs well. But um, do you ever notice like bands are always like, well, we need a label or we need a booking engineer or we need a manager? But for some reason, they've decided they need that one person. When really it is obviously, and most people know this, is you need a good team. But one of the things with the team is, is that that team, you know, the record label comes and tells you when your manager has his head up his ass and is not doing his job properly or maybe has an unrealistic expectation or has developed a little bit of a cocaine problem since we all know that the uh, managers before they become suits like to party a little too hard. I do a lot of cocaine. Oh, jeez. I know. I know. I know. I could just see you doing it. <laughs> right. Um... <laughs> Anyway, uh, it's a thing that these people are always checking up on the other and saying when the other person is not doing something right or not. It's an objective perspective on each person's role. And when you start diluting that objectivity, I don't think it's usually a good result. Mm. And I think one of the interesting things, like if we want to go into the metalcore thing, is like you constantly see these like artery foundation type bands, like where it's like you're the label and you're the... Uh, management and this conflict of interest happens and you see a lot of these personnel problems get out of control because you don't have like numerous people who are able to come back and say you know like so let's say the singer is getting a little uh egotistical there's not four different people for them to talk to and say you know that's not a good idea it just becomes there's one and i think there's a lot of time you need to keep these egos in check by having numerous people tell you no you're out of your mind when your girlfriend's telling you you're the real star of the band and you should go solo. Right. The team is very important. And, and ultimately, I guess what you're saying is like if all of your team, the five different tiers of your team are all in one, except I guess Apple wouldn't own the booking agent. So like if yeah. all of your team except one part is uh, one person, then there's no way checks and balances, one for the artist, but also for, for the team. Yes. So which gets us into a conversation on... Uh, a little bit of a conversation on artist managers. Um, also mm -hmm. in the show notes at offtherecord.fm, um, there's a cool piece um, from a Medium blog called QPoint, I believe, um, that someone linked to um, recently. And the whole, the, I thought it was an interesting read for anyone that cares about music industry stuff, which might be some of you. Um, and it, it has, it's kind of a discussion about 
I don't know. I think I often read a lot about record labels or Spotify or services or bands, and I feel like there's way less talk about the the majority of artist managers and also booking agents. So anytime there's an article that is good, it, it, it's interesting to read. And th- this conversation basically went talked more about the team, like Jesse was just getting into about how members of the team, an artist team are taking a larger role in the music industry. Suddenly Irving Azoff is obviously the prime example that you can put a picture to because he's a very popular person and important person. Um, but it, it was a, it's an article basically about how artist managers are now going out there and getting deals for bands in a different way. Um, I was at a uh, like a, a coffee date with a, a friend of mine who who works for a management company and he spoke about how like he's on the phone with Snapchat the other week to get his band into uh, a Snapchat commercial for their new Discover feature. And that that's that gets into technology and that gets into venture capitalist stuff. And Jesse, do you think it's, I guess, good the, the or good or the next step or the next process of evolution, I guess, for managers now to start? There's a difference, I suppose, rather, in being an artist manager that is solely focused on Let's get. Let's make sure you get to the UK safely. Versus, mm. I'm going out and striking deals, and I'm going to partner with these brands and businesses outside of the music industry and tech, which is terrifying to the music industry and stuff like that. To make big, strong business deals that gets bands outside of music and into other worlds. I think there's a big thing that this is the trend that's been going because as record sales money dries up. And everybody's focused on these other sizes of the pie that the record labels don't take from unless you have a shitty 360 deal. That, yeah, since the manager's starting to have more of the money, the label can't be devoting all this time to a bunch of things that they don't really get as much reward on. Because it used to be the label got so much... I think that's become the thing is that the manager's role is to do all this stuff and it used to be so much like, you know, like when I even worked at like go-kart records in the nineties, it was our job to go out and get, you want a snowboarding video or things like that. And like search out all these things because it was beneficial to us because it was advertising our product, which is your record, which was the biggest selling advertising product. But that's no longer the case. And I think we're going to just keep seeing this more and more and more and more. Yeah. I, I mean, to me, it's cool because... Like, I love a lot of stuff that's not in music, right? So it's exciting to think about a world, like reading this article, um, not that I at all ego-wise would compare myself to anyone mentioned in the article, but it, it's inter- it's interesting, like 10 years from now, I wonder if the the job, the basic job of an artist manager will not to be to make sure the band gets from the US to the UK safely, but rather than well, hiring based off of, well, do you know someone at, let's just say Snapchat again. Like, do you know someone at Snapchat that can make sure our song gets heard by hundreds of million people using our app? The same conversation sort of that we we're having about iTunes, like the reach beyond music. Like if, if Apple can put a Taylor Swift album on 300 million devices a year, that's a whole new ball game outside of music in a way, right? Like that that's expandability outside of the basic reach of music. Um, and, and I'm curious if, we can start going in that way, especially as you were saying, like all like the normal uh, revenues of music are drying up every single day. Like how can how can we get a band a better merch deal? How can we 
get them more incorporated in referrals to other businesses? How can we figure out sponsorships? Like this, there, there needs to be a whole other area of income opening up or at least trying to if bands want to continue to grow like they could have 20 years ago or something like that. Well, I mean, I think it is interesting that you talk about this UK thing because there really has always been this thing that there's the day-to-day manager. Yes, yes. The thing, and this has long gone on is that management doing it. I just think it used to be that management and the labels did it, both did it. And now the labels stop having that person be as focused on that stuff. And the manager is much more focused on this stuff. And you even see the thing of that. Instead of like labels having a licensing department as much now, you see the management company opens up a licensing department and hires somebody just for licensing for that stuff and gets them on the Super Bowl, let's say. Yeah. Um, I booked Real Friends tickets to go from Chicago to LA to Milan, van up to London, and then fly back to Chicago last week. And it was horrible. Mm. <laughs> like the day to day aspect of management is super bad because it's, there's a lot of stress. There's a lot yes. of like, it's not ex- like making a deal with Snapchat again for, for, for just reasonings, like making a deal with Snapchat, that's exciting, right? Like that's a tangible effect that the real world sees potentially. Mm. But me booking, spending thousands of dollars on a credit card where, oh my God, what if I spelled someone's middle name wrong on their uh, airplane fare? Like there's no reward in spelling it right. There's only there's only great consequence for spelling it wrong. Um, and, and so I think... I think currently, like in in my world where I manage, like none of these bands are large enough, mostly where, you know, we can have one day-to-day person per band or something like that, um, because a lot of these bands in synergy are still growing. So you there's like there has to be a balance of how can I think of great deals for these bands to find themselves in versus also let me make sure I'm not too busy so I can spell their plane ticket correctly. Yeah. But I think, you know, what's an interesting thing, though, is, too, is I think because these management companies are going to keep getting bolstered and bolstered and bolstered, you are going to start to see that some of these are going to be so self-sufficient that you're going to have some of the, like, you know, like, what, for example, like what Metric has, like, where the management company just is like, you know what, now that you're established, we don't need the record label. And, you know, I think it's, like, funny because in our scene we see a lot of the times that the artist does the one record without the label and then they go back to the label type thing, like what Circus Survive just did, for example. But we are seeing that outside of this scene that a lot of these bands, after they go out and they see the profit margins, that they just keep expanding through their management, their infrastructure. And... I think there's that's a whole other discussion why that happens in our seed. But I think the growing trend that we're going to see is that, and I'm not trying to say labels are going to get obsoleted, but what we are going to see is we're going to see a lot more management companies that are able to say, hey, we have an infrastructure where you don't even need a label and to sign to a label because we already have all the things that the label would have, especially as being in record stores starts to not matter. Yeah, I, I think, and I, I have conversations with, friends or people and a lot of them often still are saying that record labels are bogus but then i would point to really really? there's people who say record labels are bogus like that they're not needed anymore or that they're still they're still past that like they're going out of style and i they're going out of style i just uh, but i incredibly ridiculous i incredibly disagree with that like i think that was uh something that we were all throwing around there when the music industry like truly collapsed a few years ago 
Um, but to me now it's like record labels just do different things. The, the odds of every band or every management company being able to get a record, sorry, being able to get their smallest and biggest and medium sized bands, separate distribution deals and handling all those kinks and manufacturing, like no one wants to do that on that side. And it, it always leads to failure. You were just saying like you were pointing to Circa Survive, right? I wonder how many bands you would be able to find that have gone independent after being on a major label or a big independent label and then have stayed independent rather than going back to a record label the, the next time. Outside of our scene. Yeah, I'm talking um, inside our scene when people say that okay. about Rick. So I, what my argument would be this, is that yes, if you say record labels are going to be obsolete, you're a fool. And I say this as somebody who used to say that. and you could. Yeah, that. I used to say that too. I think we yeah. all did. So, But what I will say is this. People are also fools if they think that record labels are not going to be, or I should more say this, that record labels that aren't this double dipping management company kind of conflict of interest thing we were talking about, even though I don't think this is as much of a conflict of interest. What we are going to see though is management companies that have a built-in infrastructure that is like a label. So you're not just doing a separate distribution deal. It's that you sign to Jesse Cannon's management I already have a hookup through the orchard. Maybe I think. So but I think you, a lot of it go into our system, and the deal's already there, and everything's done already. And it, I, I think if you don't think that that's going to be a model in the next ten years, that's nearly pervasive as the average indie label. I think you're fooling yourself. Yeah, I, I think I, I actually hope that would be the case because I think like if, if, an, if a management company can have those resources, then that's phenomenal. Um, there's nothing negative about that. However, I think record labels are going the way of the hashtag brand in the sense that like if let's let's just say um, I have a band, but I, I don't have an example, whatever. Let's just say I have a band X and um, the management company I work for has the same distribution set up and deal as run for cover records right and like that's all the same but the uh it's gonna either say if i put it out for my through my management company it's either going to say synergy artist management or it's just going to have the band name right um or whatever the management company's weird label is or i can go to run for cover and have the brand recognition and possible exposure right like there's still to me like what's so important about the record label of today in our music world, not necessarily for Taylor Swift size, but like our world is that the recognition matters. Um, and, and it means something. It means something that this weekend I saw countless run for cover shirts and I saw six bad timing record shirts this weekend. It's really, sure. co really cool, you know? And I think that means something to an artist as well. That's why artists want to sign to run for cover instead of no sleep or no sleep instead of run for cover because they want to be, more recognized next to those brands as long as they still have the same distribution models on the back end of business. Sure, but I think what you're leaving out is that those management companies, like let's take like an artery foundation, for example, or I can even think about like at points where Crush was seen as like a major brand. Like the second you signed to Crush, you had a built-in fan base that, you know, not a built-in fan base as big as like when the major label artists they do, but no matter what, if you signed to Crush like that day, you got a 
100,000 MySpace plays, let's call it. You're going to see that happen with management companies, is that some of these management companies are going to look the very very similar in the branding uh, as a record label, and that's coming way fast. And that will be a thing. I hope so. Somebody, somebody's going to perfect that model, and I don't, I don't think there needs to be any hope. It's just... That is just literally time. To yeah, I, I think so too. The the only thing is like I think Crush, like you were saying, is actually a really phenomenal example about this, right? Like they they have a they have a model set. I like my my friend at friend of mine at Crush. Like they have managers at Crush, and then they have people that make business deals at Crush, right? Like mm-hmm. that that they're the actual prime example of what we're talking about, and that that's close to our world. Since I can't talk about I don't know like Katy Perry's management company, right? Like. This is a real tangible example that's in our world that has bands who came from our world that are doing this, and half of their half of the company's job is to make sure the band gets from the U.S. to the U.K., and the other half of the company's job is to make sure this band has is getting played on every college radio football game for six months in a row. Like, mm-hmm. and that's awesome. I think that's awesome. I I'm curious to see more so if like the current managers that exist in our world are apt enough to do things like this because it is different. Like it it's, suddenly you have to be hiring people either that used to work at record labels, right? Or you have to be hiring people that are really good at making business deals outside of um, like the music industry at, at its core. So I, I think there might be a disconnect that takes a while until several several different companies kind of blow the field open, if that makes sense at all. Still to my greater point, though, I, I will not, I, I, this is the way to put it, is record labels will not be dinosaurs, as some people used to say, including myself. It will be humans and dinosaurs living both side by side, and humans being the management companies, and the record labels being the dinosaurs, and they're going to be partying down T-Rex and human alike. Oh man, I can't even, okay, that's a metaphor, or that's not a metaphor, <laughs> that's an imagery, rather. I'm excited. Like, I never saw Jurassic Park growing up, I don't think, but the trailer looks good, so I'm excited for dinosaurs coming up. I didn't even know that was happening, and I'll never see the movie. It has Brian... What? Yeah, I have no idea. It has the dude from Guardians of the Galaxy in it, Jesse. I I will never see that movie either. Jesse, you would love that movie. It has... You don't know know what I... I don't like any action movie. It's not not even like an action movie. Also, how do you not like action movies, man? Like, what is wrong with you? Uh, You're telling me I couldn't get you drunk on passion fruit frozen margaritas and get you to enjoy uh, an action movie? Are you serious? You want want to count the number of action movies I've enjoyed? (sighs) I, I, I will tell you. I will tell you. It's very easy. The Christopher Nolan Batman movies and Taken Three. Oh God! <gasps> I don't even know what that is. <laughs> it's well. It's the it's the third Taken. Um, it's out now. I don't. Even, I don't even know what Taken is. Oh wow! I I don't pay attention to stuff. This is why I will live in Williamsburg. Let's all. all right, well, I don't know, man. I just assume since you recommend things for our fine listeners, and I end up watching and listening and enjoying them, that for once you would be kind enough to take me up on one of my recon- recommendations. But I guess we're okay, not there so, yet. So, so what's the I action uh, action movie I have to watch? I just think you would enjoy Guardians of the Galaxy. There's a lot of enjoyable Guardians music of- stuff in there. It's right. fun. It's playful. It's not like. Dumb, dark, actiony. I know Batman is, and we both love Batman. But I, I just think you would enjoy it. What about like you? So you don't even do like James Bond? I watched the last one uh, at the urging of a d- date I was on, and I was shocked how much I didn't like it. But I would <sighs> not repeat the 
experience a second time. Wow. Well, I mean, like, I thought that was fine. I watched, an, there was another one I watched, like, that same night. She made me watch two. I mean, I'm glad that you like, like, Batman. We would definitely have a rift. Isn't this the same as, aren't all your friends trying to get you to watch Star Wars? Yeah, well, I think I made a good bet, though. Like, if, if, uh... If my friend Adrian and my friend Connor get tattoos at Skate and Surf, matching Star Wars tattoos at Skate and Surf, I will watch all six Star Wars movies. And I think that's a pretty solid deal, you know? Mm -hmm. Because they're definitely going to be drunk a lot that weekend, eating terrible things, have to get tattooed for multiple hours in Asbury Park. like, And they're paying for it. It's not like I'm paying for the tattoos. Um, And then what? Like I get to drink and not do anything for 24 hours of what I imagine those six movies add up to be time-wise. Like there, there, there's some really bad movies. Right, there are, though. there are. And like, I've seen all, I've seen all of them and there's, there's some of those are really, this is bad. why I haven't watched it. One, because it's like a national treasure that I think is weird. That's a national treasure. And two, that everyone says how much they love some of them and hate the other ones. And I mean, whatever though, like I'm totally into this. Jesse, if you get, a tattoo of something. I will also watch something. I'm getting. I'm getting a tattoo in like a couple weeks. Should we just? Uh, should I save it as a surprise for the listeners when I actually get it? I I don't like being surprised. You want to just do listener question? Yeah, I think I think we're we're we're, we're of time that we should just start getting into these. Cool. So um, the first question, which again, as I will continue to say, uh, if you tweet hashtag ask OTR, uh, we will get a notification. And then when someone asks a question like, is Jesse okay? He didn't sound sick and depressed on last week's episode. <laughs> and w- which, which I will also say, if you think that I sound groggy sometimes, and you notice I talk about that the episode was taped in the morning, all you have to do is just tweet with the hashtag impeach Cirillo for him making me I go to college, early. man. Like, I go to college. I have 27 jobs. Like, you need to fit to my schedule, man. I did, I, I did it. You know, truth be told, I've been getting up at a reasonable hour because the girl I'm dating gets up at 6 a.m. Oh, I've been awake since 6 a.m. today, and it's 2.43 now. I registered for my final quarter of classes, Jesse. And, wow. Uh, you'll be glad to know my Monday schedule for taping is looking pretty good. I'm liking that. I'm yep, liking that. Me too. Um, anyway, so the first... The, well, actually, that was legitimately a question, but... Um, are you okay, Jesse? I just want to check to ask to answer that. I, I can honestly say I'm the happiest I've been in years right now. So you may still get a motorhead tattoo. <laughs> now I have to leave that detail. <laughs> <laughs> um, so from X Steven X burial, this guy will break edge at a motorhead tattoo for sure. At a motorhead <laughs> tattoo for sure. Um, Jesse, when mastering for vinyl, do you need the unmastered tracks or can you just remaster the already mastered digital versions? I will just say real quick before Jesse gets nerdy. We are going through this right now between Jesse, Bad Timing Records, and a new band we're about to sign. So, good timing. Yeah, I'd prefer to get unmastered tracks. I'd also prefer to get it at the highest resolution possible. One of the things I think a lot of people don't know is that when you're recording a record, you're usually recording at 24-bit and hopefully 96 or 88.2 kilohertz. A lot of kilohertz. It's it's, it's best to give me the masters at that to cut for vital. For digital, it's going to get taken down anyway, and most of the places won't let you deliver digital at a high thing unless you're doing the mastered for iTunes thing. But vinyl sounds better and can reproduce better than 16-bit 44-1, which is what most masters are delivered at. 
So it is great to get unmastered 24-bit 96 colors. Also, because we can make the vinyls a little bit more dynamic and we can get it sounding better. So yes, I can all the time. In fact, even one of the, I think, funner things that we weren't able to talk about this when we first discussed this was when bad timing, when you guys did uh, the Valencia remaster, mm. I always was like, you know, and that record was very close to me. I did the demos for some of that, uh, for one of the songs on that record. And like, you know, I w wanted to love that record, but I hated the way that record sounded. I always thought it was in the recording. And then when I discovered when I went to remaster it from the files was that the master, who, which was famously done by this mastering engineer that a lot of people really, really don't. He was named, nicknamed Vlad the Impaler for how loud he would make records. I wish that was and, my nickname. <laughs> But what I found out is if I just went in there and turned it down a little bit and kind of re-expanded some of the dynamic range with some tools I have, all of a sudden the record's sounding great and we got that record, like even the digital files we have, they're so much more listenable than this pegged nasty version that exists in the world. So you can even undo some of the bad stuff from this, but it's so easy to just get regular files from somebody and get high definition files from your mixing engineer and do vinyl right. And cause we want this vinyl last forever and we won't want it to sound good when it's done. I will say that I, I finally, um, I finally got my record player finally all set up and working now. Uh, cause it took me that long to get a, I walked into Radio Shack, rest in peace Radio Shack, uh, this past week, and I said, Jesse, is this the right... I just kept sending pictures to Jesse of different y of different cable cords. Yeah, it was like Radio doing tech, tech support with a senior citizen. Right. I can't believe you're making fun of my dad on this episode. <laughs> um, and so I finally got the right cable, and it sounds incredible. So thank you, Jesse, um, and I should also thank my mom for Hanukkah. And uh, I, I now have a record player in my record label office six months late, but it's great. Very nice. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, so. So the, ne so the next question's for you. Yeah. Which is Actually, the rest of the questions are for me, Jesse. No, it's usually all nerds asking you nerd questions. Um, that's that's uh, true. I'm um, yeah. So, so they want to know how'd you get started with Synergy Management? Yeah. So when I was a sophomore. No, am I a senior? Yeah, I'm a senior. Um, so I started managing my first band, Light Years, when I was in the second half of my sophomore year of college. Um, right before I started my junior year of college, I picked up Knuckle Puck, and things for Knuckle Puck started going fast right off the bat. Um, not that I was beyond my means of capabilities as a manager, which I was, but I, I, I wanted the band to not be limited by my lack of experience in the field. Um, so uh, speaking with a booking agent friend, he paired me with Avange, um, the, the woman who owns Synergy, which, and I've worked for her for years on Properties Act through other bands she had managed. But it quickly made sense that I had so much to learn. I wanted to learn. Um, the, the most important thing for me when it comes to managing a band is never take experiences away from your bands because of your own ego as a manager. It's a great point. I wanted, there was no question to me that I wanted to join Avange because she was managing and is still managing real friends who are a year to a year and a half ahead of Knuckle Puck. And not that Knuckle Puck wants to or will be the same band as real friends, but you start to, there's just basic uh, tier marks you meet for bands. Um, and that like, you, you start seeing them a year ahead of time. So 
Real Friends signed to Fearless Records. I, I saw how that worked. I, I applied some of that knowledge to when Knuckle Puck signed to Rise. I never wanted my lack of experience to affect the band's future success. And frankly, I never wanted a reason for me to get fired from a band to be because I wasn't, I didn't have enough aptitude to do the job. Uh, Avange needed day-to-day help, like we were just talking about earlier on this episode, something like booking a plane ticket for Real Friends. And that would mean it was beneficial for me because now I get to see everything Real Friends does from the inside and get to apply that to other areas. And I also love working with those guys. And so I, uh, I work on... Real friends with Avange, and then I I manage that synergy. Knuckle Puck have Mercy, Light Years, and very recently uh, Sorority Noise. That that's a I think that is a really good point though. Not to toot my own horn, but I think in any aspect of the world, right? Like, don't it's okay to take potential ego hits if it means making everything around you better, because ultimately it only feeds back to your success. You know. Mm-hmm. Same thing even for producing. It's just like one of those things. It's like so many times you have to to learn to just go, can't make this about my ego. Yeah. It's it 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 all like it's just so beneficial long term. Like even if it again, even if it feels like you're taking a hit, it's it's just much more beneficial. So the a second question for a follow-up to that actually is This isn't just for you. I was booking bands across to Europe before you even were out of high school. Come on. Well, it's still a follow-up. It works well. Uh-huh. You don't think that works well back to back? I'm not saying you said all the rest of the questions were for you. Oh, well, I was looking at the Fallout Boy one. No. Uh, so I am from the UK. This is a person. I am from the UK. As people who both manage have managed US bands who have made the trip across the pond, what are the main problems bands face in touring overseas, which prevents them from coming over more often? Jesse Cannon, how did tours? How did people uh, tour in the UK while I was in diapers? <laughs> the same way they do now. Ah. This is an easy one, though. This is the thing. Do people not realize that if you tour too much that people just stop showing up? Do you think he means that or do you th- or she, he or she means that or like literally like visas? Well, it's not always about visas because there's tons of bands that are small that don't get visas and right. stuff. Well, I'm just saying, like, do you, th- do you think it's more of a thing of why they don't go over there that much? Because it's expensive. Um, it's, it's very expensive. It's not profitable until you get to a certain size. Knuckle Puck got back from the UK two days ago, their first ever tour. Um, I expected the band to lose money. Thank God the band made a little money on the way back, which is really incredible for a first tour because the odds of you making money your first few times going to the UK are incredibly slim. And that that's, that's what you call an investment. Uh, and a lot of bands don't have the money or time to invest. And so I, I think the main problem is not enough tours where you know that you can get enough money back for your costs. Uh, for example, a plane ticket is usually around 800 to $1,200 per member of a band. Uh, if you want to travel safely and uh, with someone who knows the lay of the land, that could be another few thousand dollars. And if you have five band members, that could already add up to $8,000. Like these are, it's, it's expensive. Unfortunately, it's also expensive for bands from the UK to tour the US. Um, that's why we don't see that happen often either. So also a lot of opportunity costs. You can't do anything else when you're in the UK. Whereas when you're in America, you can stop over at a recording studio, do this, or like, you know, it's just so much easier to get things done when you're in your native country. Whereas once you're over there, you're like doing that and you're sightseeing you know you're getting pictures with koalas if you're in australia yeah i love i love koalas i'm trying to go to australia i'm I'm, I'm a big fan i'm still kind of mad that i haven't done it when i've had the chance oh you haven't huh 
Have you been to Japan? I, you know, I, I've turned down two records in Japan because both times they were two months long and I couldn't. Oh take that god, much time that's off. so much time to be in a different country. <laughs> it's it's just so much time too when you have a business like mine. So yeah, yeah, I just. Can't I think I'm hoping that I get to go whenever Knuckle Puck go to Australia or Japan. I will be there. Like no question asked. Totes. Um. So this last question is definitely for you, which is: Does Zach actually think the new Full Out Boy is good? I love them, but I honestly wish they never got back together. They make horrible Imagine Dragons type of radio rock now. They should have broken it up after Infinity IOD, on High, uh, which had its flaws as well. I, I actually agree with this person. That's the last record I liked from the band. Uh, that's my least re- favorite Fall Out Boy record, I think. Um, well, I only like two songs on it, but that's also like... It's a lot for like, you, Jesse, to like. I only like two record. to three songs. Yeah, like... I, well, I think I like like five on From Under the Cork Tree. Okay. Uh, I will say that I do like the new Fall Out Boy record a lot. Um, I like it more than the reunion, the first reunion record, but I like both of those. Um, this is probably my second or third favorite Fall Out Boy record out of six. Um so does that mean you like that Folly uh, a Duh? Or no, that's my actually that's my least favorite Fall Out Boy record. That record's unlistenable. Folly I mean, Adieu. I also think these. Uh, I, I think, think they have a few great songs on it, but the majority of it, I think the the issue with Folly Adieu to me is like the band was trying to write the music that they are now. Whether you th- enjoy the music or not, they are very successful at writing the music they're currently writing. You know, um, in terms of like a pop radio kind of thing, um, and they they didn't. I don't think they properly knew how to do it then and they do now um i like fallout boy a lot um it's so i don't expect fallout boy today to be fallout boy that made from under the cork tree i think a lot of people expect that and that's where they go wrong um you're also perfectly fine to not like fallout boy in general right now well, like, well i i actually like what this guy said about the imagine dragons thing because that, that's my i don't know do so. i know any imagine dragon songs if you don't you're so lucky i probably don't um, they're they're a terrible band. The uh, the like the person that was that made the playlist for the Wonder Years all weekend. They were just playing like '90s and early 2000s pop hits, um, in between any set and in between encores. So the Wonder Years would like walk off from a song up the web upsize and for ten minutes in between encore, like the Macarena would play. Uh, wait, wait, they played music between the encores. That's a very the first uh, the first one. It was like lengthy because the band had just played like a full album and needed a minute. Wow, that's a big faux um, pas. They did, yeah. It was weird. They like it was just an it was it was weird. I've actually never experienced that. Yeah, you, the music goes up. That means you know the show. Yeah, no, but they the, well they were purposely like, look, we need a little break. We're we're dying. Uh, enjoy enjoy the pop hits for a minute, and then we'll be right back. And everyone loved it. <laughs> Um, people were dancing. The defenders were dancing in the tanks. Sounds sounds like it was terrible. Yep, yep. That was my. I don't want to see. I don't want to see defenders dance. Oh, good title name. Do you have any recommendations? I got nothing. All right. Well, this is the last episode. We've got nothing. Jesse won't <laughs> watch. Um, Je- Jesse's been working too much to experience anything. Jesse won't watch Guardians of the Galaxy, and uh, I'm gonna watch it. I literally wrote down on my to do list just for you. Will that? Will you watch, watch it by I, the time we tape two episodes from now? <laughs> I am so busy that I have no idea if I'll even have time. To, I, I, dude, I have not watched a full movie in like two weeks. Oh, so you, you got to watch Imitation Game. I, dude, I have. <laughs> you don't have an option, man. I, I have no time to do anything. Okay. Thank you for listening. My recommendation this week is to listen to Blink One Eight Two and pretend it's all okay. Goodbye. Don't cut this out, Jesse.
Thank you to everyone for listening to Off The Record this week. Head to offtherecord.fm to check out show notes, to leave us any feedback. Jesse can be found at Twitter at Jesse Cannon. I'm at Z Zarillo, and our podcast is at Off The Record FM. We'll be back next week.